Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, I'll say it. Merry Christmas. Come on now. Turkey is gone at my house. It didn't even last a day. That's not true. It, did last, it didn't last the second day. But we are in Advent, and I am grateful that we are at the end of the year, and we finish the year with Christmas. It is my favorite season. Now, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope it was special. It was for me. Um, there's a reason... I'll let you in on, on some of my game plan here as a dad. There is a reason I have so many children. It is for days like Thanksgiving and Christmas too, because Christmas dinner is always a special one as well at my house. But So for each daughter, my, I'm not going to trust my sons to bake. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is. I hope that doesn't sound awful. Uh, I'm teaching them to, to grill. That's their job. But uh, so I've got one that does a chocolate pie now. I've got one that does a pumpkin pie, a key lime pie, buttermilk pie. And the bride, oh, she makes a fantastic apple pie. Oh, there is some left, but we're not welcoming visitors at this time. So anyway, it was, uh, we had a great week and I hope that uh, your time with your family this week was blessed. But it is a time now to turn our hearts toward Advent and the anticipation that comes uh, looking forward to Christmas Day. For, of course, kids, it's the anticipation of the Christmas tree and what's under there or what's not under there. Inflation, that's what's under there. Uh, But uh, for us as followers of Christ, as adults, we want to focus our heart not so much on all the tinsel and and the lights and the bells and whistles, but really we want to focus our hearts of following Jesus on this time for the anticipation of his arrival. And as best we can, we want to dig into the word and kind of put ourselves, try to put ourselves back in the time of his arrival where the shepherds were on the hillside and the wise men and and all the things that were happening in their day and time. But even this morning, we're going back further to look at the prophecies, some of the prophecies, one in particular uh, of his coming. I want to share with you as uh, you make your way out this morning, you may have picked up a journal on your way in. Your staff has written several devotions. Um, We've compiled that into an Advent journal for the season. You can follow that Monday to Friday. There's five uh, five entries per week or per theme. So we will journey together today um, up until uh, the final day. There is uh, even an, an entry for Christmas Day like there was last year. Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year. We will have one service that day, just so you know, at 10 o'clock. You guys are the late birds. I want you to be early that day, okay? All right. But we always look forward to that. And so in the journal, if you'll read the introduction, you'll pick up on, uh, on what I think is the, well, what it is the theme this year, um, the Born series. That comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Just digging into what does that mean? What, who was that child? Of course, we know the answer, but trying to get deeper into Scripture what that child was, who that child was, what did he come to do? For unto us a child 
is born. Guiding my thoughts through this series is also Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and following. Particularly verse 1 today, it says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Next week we'll go further into that, but today we're looking back at the different times and in different ways that God spoke to the fathers, our, our, our people, the church, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, the Israelite, the Jewish prophets, where our foundation, our, our roots, spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times in different ways. We're going back to the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 33. Are there other prophecies? Absolutely there are. But today that's where we find um, our time uh, together in the word. Let me give you a couple of other prophets over the years who have predicted things that have not come true. And I think by the end you'll agree that we're glad these human prophets did not, uh, and their prophecies did not come true. Okay? Julius Frontinus, in A.D. 100, prophesied this. He said, Inventions have long reached their limit, and I see no hope for further developments. All right. Go, Julius. You're wrong. Okay. John Eric Erickson, surgeon to Queen Victoria in 1873, said, The abdomen, the chest, and the brain will forever be shut from the intrusion of the wise and humane surgeon. Interesting. All right. Albert Einstein's teacher told his father in 1895, it doesn't matter what he does, he will never amount to anything. All right, there you go. John von Neumann in 1949 said, It would appear we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. I was like, they had like beads back then counting, right? I, I didn't even know there were computers in 1949, and I was a computer science major for one semester. <sighs> Nuclear, oh, I love this one. Alex Lute of Vacuum Cleaner Company, the Loot Vacuum Cleaner Company, in 1955, quoted in the New York Times, nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. <laughs> yeah, let's just go push a nuclear uh, you know, vacuum cleaner around that little nuclear power plant around our living room. Where'd the carpet go? Oh, it's got too much power. You're glowing today. Yes, I vacuumed the house. Oh. Jeez, Louise. Here's another fun one. Arthur Summerfield, Postmaster General under Dwight Eisenhower, 1959. Before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles. We stand on the threshold of rocket mail. You had a letter in the mail. It got burned up on reentry. Who knew? Oh, good grief. By the turn of the century, Roger Smith said, he was the chairman of General Motors in 1986, by the turn of the century, we will live in a paperless society. He was almost accurate, but not quite. Ha, proved him wrong. I predict the internet will go spectacularly supernova, and in 1996, catastrophe will happen. 
collapse. Bob Metcalf, 1995. All right, those are just some goofy ones that don't make a whole lot of sense, and they were all wrong. But when we look in Scripture, what we find is a fantastic list of prophets, all spoken to by God himself, revealed God revealing his will to them, his truth to them. They writing it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, capturing it for us, that we can go back and look and find exactly how, where, when Jesus would come. That God cared so much for his, his creation and humanity itself that he would intervene and send forth the snake crusher to crush the head of the serpent, as even foretold in Genesis 3.15. So many prophecies, and we're just going to focus on one main one this morning, of the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. In our world today and in every age that has been or ever will be, we as Christians need not fear, but always, my friends, always we must be filled with hope. Just in the days when Jesus was born, hope was restored. Today, we maintain that same hope and we look forward to his return again. If you would, stand with me as I read from Jeremiah chapter 33. I'm going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. Today, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will fulfill the good promise that I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the accuracy of your word. That prophets long before Jesus ever took his first breath as an infant there in Bethlehem spoke of the very place of Bethlehem, of his birth. Father, thank you for the time and the way in the, that in the fullness of time you fulfilled your promise to your people. Father, I pray that you would renew that hope within us this morning. If we walk in the door down and feeling hopeless, that we would remember that in Christ we have a hope that will not disappoint. Father, what we do not know, I pray you would teach us as your word is open before us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. In Jeremiah chapter 33, what we find is that God has renewed once again a, the promise of Messiah's birth, the coming uh, of his birth that could, it could have, it, there couldn't have been a better time than Jeremiah 33 to renew that promise. Jeremiah, in his time, it's, it's a tough time for God's people. As we've walked through the Old Testament, we've seen their ups, we've seen their downs, more downs, it seems, than ups. But, but it's a tough time, and the outlook is grim in this moment in the context of Jeremiah 33, specifically for his prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is still in prison. We know him as the lamenting or the weeping prophet. Jerusalem is being attacked by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. were on the move again against Jerusalem. Eventually, they would lay it to absolute waste. And these were the last days, the desperate days in Jerusalem before it fell to Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah's Jerusalem was coming to an end. It was happening, happening just as Jeremiah had told the people it would happen. We find him. Why is he known as the weeping and lamenting prophet? Because he's heartbroken. Because the people of God are not listening to what God is saying through him. They're not listening to God's message of warning. And so God will fulfill his promise of exile. 
if they would not return. And so as the land is going to be laid to waste, we see and we hear this. This is even the people's own testimony about Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. In this place, which you, now he's talking to the people, you are saying is a ruin without people or animals. That is in Judah's cities and Jerusalem streets that are a desolation without people, without inhabitants, and without animals. Pause right there for a moment. That's their own testimony of where they live in Jerusalem. Everything is being laid to waste. People would look around and see nothing but a wasteland. But God had something else in mind. You can read it there at the end of verse 10 where I stopped. There will be heard again a sound of joy and gladness, the voice of the groom and the bride and the voice of those saying, give thanks to the Lord of armies for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. God had something else in mind. God had something for Jeremiah. You love a secret? Can you keep a secret? Well, this is a secret of God given to Jeremiah that was to not be kept. He wrote it down for us too to know. With God, all things are possible. And with God, his plan is possible. We don't always get to know exactly all the intricate details of his plan for our life or his purpose for the, but we know he's got a plan and we're going to trust that plan. We're going to trust him every step of the way. This time, Jeremiah gets the inside, inside scoop to that plan. If you go back to verses two and three of this very chapter, the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it, formed it established it, the Lord is his name, says this. He tells this to Jeremiah. Listen, he says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. Jeremiah, what you are about to find out, you do not know. But if you will call out to me, I will let you know what's going on. Great and incomprehensible things you don't know. Right here, there is hope. In the midst where Jeremiah is, in the decay, in the fall of Jerusalem, it's all going to be laid to waste. In all of that despair and all of that trouble and all of that trial, right there, God intervenes and said, Jeremiah, if you call out to me, I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to show you some things through this word that are going to happen. This is not the end of the story, Jeremiah, but they're incomprehensible. What you see in the future that you're going to hear about, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. Paul himself said, who has known the mind of the Lord? No one really, no one ever. But God invited Jeremiah to search the mind of God at this point. He invited him into that. And God revealed his plan. He revealed his will through his word right here to Jeremiah. The word to Jeremiah can be summarized like this. Again, in verse 11, I will restore the fortunes of the land as in former times, says the Lord. And with these words, God promised a reversal of fortunes for his people. They're in desolation now. They're going into exile. Some have already been put there. But there will come a day where mercy and grace are on the scene. They come. Peace and safety would be reunited with his people, and they would return to Jerusalem. Look at again at verse 11. He says that weddings would happen. The voice of the groom and the bride and the celebration. I've been at a few funerals, uh, weddings that seem like a funeral. But normally, they're a celebration, are they not? We're excited. You got, you know, you got your big, tough groom up there and 
he's up there looking all uh, handsome and stuff until he sees his bride come walking down the aisle and he's never seen her quite as beautiful as that moment and that tough exterior begins to crumble and a tear begins to fall. And then what I love is that doing weddings is uh, at times you're up here, you're trying to be Solomon, doing all the things right and, and you get to that point where they start sharing their vows, right? And the tough guy over here who's never whispered sweet nothing to anything to his, his bride-to-be suddenly starts saying all the I do's and I won'ts and all these things and, and she hears that for the first time and some brides start tearing up a little bit but what I really love is when she gets tickled at it. And she can't stop laughing at this guy who's been tough forever. You know, brides and grooms will be sharing and talking and celebrating one again. There's weddings happening. That, that is an indication of a future. There's a way to join our lives together and raise a family and provide for them. When everything's laid waste, what good would that do? Why would you do that? Why would you start a family when you can't provide for them? Why would, you, why would you start a family when there's, there's, no, there's no sense of hope for them for a, for a future generation? When everything's laid waste and you're in despair, it doesn't seem like there's any way out. But when things are looking up, weddings begin to happen. Families are formed. Look at verse 12. Here's the next thing, another sign of when Christ would come. Verse 12. This is what the Lord of armies says. In, the, in this desolate place, again, there's the context in the place of desolation without people or animals in all its cities there will once more be a grazing land where shepherds may rest their flocks the flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who counts them in the cities of the hill country the cities of the Judean foothills the cities of the Negev the land of Benjamin the areas around Jerusalem in the Judah cities says the Lord the flocks of sheep have returned they will once again pass under the hand of the shepherd. Man, that verse right there is a sermon in and of itself. What shepherd won't leave the 99 to go after the one? How does he know one's missing? Because they're passing under his hand and he knows. Mm. All of these signs point to a sign of peace. Weddings to a sign of a future. Farming and grazing of animals means the soldiers have laid down their weapons and taken up the staff to once again shepherd their sheep. And now in verses 14, 15, and 16, point us to how God will restore with a prophecy of hope, this royal promise, this good promise, a prophecy of hope he gives us with the good promise. That good promise that he talks about is the promise of a good king. Israel and Judah had known a lot of stinkers. Israel had, didn't have a good king, period. When the, once the kingdom split, they didn't have a king. In fact, all of those kings are described as men who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judah had a couple that did good, but most of theirs were, were also rotten to the core. The verse 14, we have hope. Friends, hope, we remember, is always looking forward and and as the prophecy begins, this sweet words to those who are in trouble, he says, look, the days are coming. That, that instantly should trigger in our thoughts that what we're in now is not the final part of the story. It's not the final chapter. We're not about to read. We're not, we're not going to read the last words at the end of the book, the end, period. There's another chapter. There's, a, there's another, stay, uh, another scene coming in, in the great drama of life. And the great story that God has laid out. Look, the days are coming. It, it, it's almost as if the one where we turn our eyes to and we look up to the, the, the creator of heaven and earth, right? Where does my help come from? 
My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, that he has lifted our heads to look up. He said, look, the days are coming. We're walking around like old Eeyore, you know, tail tucked down, woe is me. And, and here's God saying, wait, the days are coming. Look up. There is hope coming. The days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. It's not Jeremiah's declaration. It's not Pastor Chris's declaration. This is the Lord's declaration. This is his promise, his word. When I will fulfill the good promise, I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The Lord's declaration. Think about those, those two words. That The Lord's declaration. Isaiah 55, that's where you'll remember his thoughts are not our my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Those, those ways of God, the thoughts of God are so much higher than ours. But right after that in chapter 55 of Isaiah, he says, So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish. It will accomplish his will. It will accomplish what he pleases it to accomplish. So when we hear this is the Lord's declaration... There's another level to that in Hebrews chapter 6. The declaration of God, the word of God. He's talking in chapter 6 about the unchangeable purpose of God. That he made a promise to Abraham. Not only did he make that promise to Abraham, but it's also impossible for God to lie. And so he says this. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. And we have that hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That hope is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but hear it. He made a promise, he made an oath, and he cannot lie. He's kept his promise. He made his promise and he kept his promise. Two unchangeable things. We cannot, he cannot change. Two unchangeable things, his word and his actions, they go together so that we who have fled for refuge from the time of distress, from the time of ruin, from the time of desolation might look forward and have hope, hope in the word of God when he says the days are coming when I will fulfill the good promise that we look forward to those days. Now he's come at the, at the advent, he's come once as followers of Christ today, we lift our eyes into the hills where our help comes from and we see that there is coming another day, another time where Jesus will come back for his bride. We look forward to that now. So how do we keep looking forward? Well, let's get back in this and find out. We do exactly what they did. We look forward to the hope that is to come in Christ Jesus. That good promise which brought hope is that God promised a good king. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says this, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. The king the good king would be a branch off of the old tree. God made a covenant to David that he would never lack a man sitting on the throne of Israel. The old tree is coming back, and that branch is going to be Jesus Christ. He is from the house of David. If you go back into Matthew, the genealogy there, you'll see there that it is written. 
He is a part of that from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, from exile to his birth. The king would be a branch off the old tree. Then he says, in those days and at that time, well, what would the time be? How would they know? We've already kind of touched on that briefly, but you'll know, one, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, for God's time is when the fullness of time came. What does that mean? When God's ready for it to happen. He's going to make it happen. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of God's timeline came. Well, in what days are that? In the days, in the time that Jeremiah had just described. When weddings are happening, when the shepherds are out with their sheep, there'd be some kind of semblance of peace, that peace had been restored. Again, weddings taking place, when Thanksgiving is made in the temple, and when the shepherds are out shepherding their sheep. Friends, each generation was as important as the next generation to come. That's why Matthew gives us that long line, that lineage from Abraham to David, David to exile, exile to Christ. God would send the king when the shepherds were out on the hillside. God would sing, send the king when weddings were happening, when there was peace in the land. Why shepherds? What has that got to do with anything? If you hadn't made the connection yet, right? Luke chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke, what do we have? We have the story of the shepherds. They were out where? Out on the hillside, tending this flock of sheep at night. When the angels burst on the scene and they let them know, they announced the birth of Christ. Shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified and the angel announced his birth. The announcement of that birth of Jesus and the shepherds tending their herds was as necessary as the birth was in Bethlehem, which was also foretold. The virgin birth, the lineage of King David, all of these things have a part to play. What about the weddings? Wasn't Jer- uh, Joseph, wasn't Mary betrothed to Joseph? They were getting pla- plan- they were planned to get, uh, to get married. They were engaged to one another. The, the plans were coming together. David was, uh, Joseph was going to excuse Mary quietly when he found out she was pregnant with Jesus. The angel, and that's when the angel comes and tells Joseph, hey, don't do that. There's something special happening here you need to know about. See, everything in, in Jeremiah is happening. When Jesus comes, the shepherds are out on the hillside. Weddings are happening again. There's peace. People are back at the temple offering thanksgiving. All these things are so important. There's a whole other list. Genesis 3.15. Um, Emmanuel's chapter 7, verse 14, where God says his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 123. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is where it's told that Bethlehem will be his birthplace. Of course, we know that's where he was born. Um, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, and 2 Samuel all give us the the three offices that he will um, possess, prophet, priest, and king. I'd spend more time with that on you, but that's that's your uh, homework, I guess, for the week. But he, he continues on. These things are so important. There is so much fulfillment in the scriptures that it's all connected to one another, uh, together. And what we see is in Christ, when, as we look at this, and what, what I understand is that as it's all connected, we can trust that he is as advertised. Right? There's so many people that doubt that Jesus was who he said he was or who we claim as Christians that he was and still is. But listen, you can trust that he is as advertised. 
Right? Don't take my word. I didn't write this. I didn't say, look, the days are coming. This is Chris's declaration. This is the Lord's declaration. Right? We have a man in our church. He comes to the first service. Right? For years, the years of his life, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this, but for the, most of his life, 95% of his life, he made fun of, he made fun of Christians and he mocked and ridiculed the, the scriptures until one day sitting at his house, God called him to open this book. He could not refuse it. He opened it and for hours he sat and as he read, he began to cry because he began to see how this book is so connected. For years he spent mocking it and, and making fun of people who read it. And God intervened and his grace overwhelmed him. And now he's one of the most passionate men I know who follow the Lord. And he's a part of our church. Friends, he would tell you that you can trust Jesus, that he is as advertised. How can we trust that Jesus is who he claims to be? Again, think about what the Bible says. His identity doesn't hinge only on this one passage, but a host of others that all point to who Jesus is. The Old Testament is full, and I've tried over the last year as we've read through the Old Testament to make sure to point out how the Old Testament is pointing to Christ, pointing to his work, pointing to his person, pointing to the sacrifice that he would make on the cross. Friends, the Bible, what I hold in my hand and what you hold in your hand is one of the, the oldest and most reliable religious documents. The others that are out there cannot hold a candle to what this book is and to the accuracy of what it has predicted and what has come true and what it remains. It records our beginning. It predicts our end, and it will all happen. It certainly speaks of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. All things that are attested to, even the resurrection. 500 witnesses saw him after the resurrection, after the crucifixion. These things were all predicted long before he appeared in the fullness of God's timing. The one and only true and living God, would, that, that he would predict something like this and then see it come to pass. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, if you will, speaks of many of the Old Testament people like Abraham and Sarah, like Moses, like David and others who had faith in what was promised to them. What was promised to them was exactly what God is promising through Jeremiah. There is coming a day that a good king, a righteous branch will come forth. And so they looked forward to that. They didn't get to see that promise fulfilled in their lifetime but just like in Advent, that promise was going to come to fruition. So they kept their eyes looking forward to the promise. Hope in the promise, faith in the promise, trust in the promise. Now, I've never seen Jesus with my eyes. So I have faith and I trust in that which I cannot see. But I hope and I trust in the promise of God's word. That is where we find grace and mercy and salvation. We trust that Jesus is who he claims to be. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For, this, for by this our ancestors were approved. We can also trust Jesus is the kind of king God promised, the good king. The promise of the shepherds, the promise of the covenants, with David, all of those that Jeremiah has listed gives credibility to the other prophecies mentioned by Jeremiah. So God says he will be this. He will be a righteous branch. Jesus didn't have to overthrow anyone. He didn't come in wielding a great military like David or, or Solomon 
over, overtaking and kicking out Rome and reclaiming the territory. He didn't do that. He didn't come in with swords and chariots and mighty horses and a great military power. He was the rightful heir to the throne, and he fulfilled the promise to David. And he still fulfills it today because he will reign forever. So he's the righteous branch. He is also just, meaning that he will administer justice in the land. Listen, I don't want an unrighteous branch administering his kind of justice because that kind of justice will not be godly, holy, and right. We need a righteous branch administering righteous justice, the right kind of justice, his justice. And he also we see that he's victorious, that in those days it says Judah will be saved. Now, to hear those words when Jeremiah and the people of Israel and Jerusalem, and, and they see their city, their homes, their temple being laid to waste, to hear those words that Judah will be saved, but it's not today, but they will be saved, means that there's coming, this, this good king is going to be victorious. Well, Christ claimed victory over sin, death, and his old enemy and adversary, crushing the head of the serpent. His name says it all. He will save his people from their sins. In his victory, people are prepared and ready for eternity. And he brings peace between God and man. We see that in verse 16. Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. This will be her name. The Lord is our righteousness. What a powerful name that is that we can trust Jesus because he is the righteous king. The people, her name, Jerusalem, the Lord is our righteousness. What a name. Think about that for a moment. The Lord, our righteousness. Not the Lord, my right, not, not my righteousness. Ours collectively, as a community, as a body of believers. Our righteousness. What does that mean? It does not mean that I come with my own righteousness and I stand before him and am accepted in my own righteousness but rather he is our righteousness because he did everything right. He did everything that he was supposed to do. He fulfilled the law perfectly in every way. Everything he said, he heard the Father say. Everything he did is because he saw the Father doing it or the Father commanded him to do it. So he was righteous in every way. My righteousness will not get me there. So when upon trusting in Christ... My righteousness, my filthy rags set aside. I cannot stand before the king in my own righteousness, and yet his righteousness through faith and trust is given freely. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my filthy rags, he sees the righteousness of his son. The Lord, our righteousness. Friends, Jesus completely fulfills Every prophecy, ultimately because it is Jesus who took our sin. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. That is the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That hope, my friends, is guaranteed by God. How do I know? How do I? Somebody's perhaps still struggling. How would we know? How, how can we take it? Can you, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. This is what he says in verse 20. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night cease to come at their regular time, then also my covenant with my servant David may be broken. If that could happen, 
that he would not have a son reigning on his throne and the Levitical priest would not be my ministers. Don't take my word for it because this hope, this promise is guaranteed by God. If you can break the cycle that God has put into creation. Now remember, go back to verse two. The Lord who made the earth and the Lord who forms it and established it. The Lord is his name says this. Call to me and I will answer to you. So this is his word. The one who created it, the one who formed it, the one who put everything in orbit, the one who put gravity in its place and keeps it in its place. The one who made the earth to spin around and orbit the sun, that we would have day and night. He saw it, he called it, and it was good. That God says, if you can break my covenant, my plan, my purpose with the day and the night, if you can do that, then I'll break my promise. That ain't gonna happen. So God guaranteed it with his promise. It would be fulfilled. We can't do it. Now, what is even more amazing is that he goes one more step. The little puny human being cannot break the covenant with day and night. So he takes it one more step. And that one more step is in verse 25. If I do not keep my covenant with the day and with the night, and if I fail to establish the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I might also reject the descendants of Jacob and of my servant David. That is, I would not take rulers from his descendants to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so we don't even have a chance of breaking that covenant that God set up in his created order, right? We don't have a chance, so we're not gonna break it. But the one who created it, he certainly has the power to break it. He put it in its place, he can take it apart. So if he's saying, if I break my covenant with the day and the night, if I fail to establish those things, then I will break this and I will reject these families. But that's not what he does. Look what he says at the end of verse uh, 26. But in fact, I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. Don't take my word for it. God has sealed it with his word, his authority. He has made it happen. I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. And that happens through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is hope fulfilled. He is the hope that links us to the Father. He is the, the, the truth and the way and the life. Friends, consider the farmer and the hope of the farmer. The farmer is someone who, who believes that what goes down into the ground will come up in the spring and produce, or in the fall and produce a harvest. That's hope. That what goes down is gonna grow and produce fruit. The prophecies about Jesus and his coming renew our hope, friends. Hope restored in Christ, the promise of his return. Friends, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something or a promise that is not yet seen or is not yet fulfilled that will be kept, that it will actually come to pass because God has guaranteed it, because God will make it happen. Faith is not a blind leap into the face of contrary evidence, but a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, <clears throat> infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. It'll happen because he has said it will happen. And it's his authority to back it up. And it's his authority that he will take action. He promised that he will make it happen. Friends, if you've not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life, he is hope fulfilled. He is hope realized. 
he was prophesied about and God has made it happen. That he took your place on the cross to pay for your sin. To exchange your, right, your righteousness with his perfect righteousness. That he has died for your forgiveness. For forgiveness of your sins and for salvation of your life. I pray that you will trust him today. He has promised that he would forgive you. Do you take him at his word? Look at verse 8 and 9. I will purify them from all the iniquity, from all the sin in your life. He has promised to purify you from all the rebellion that you've committed against him. I will forgive that. From all the iniquities they have committed against me, rebelling against me. God has promised to do it. He has made the way to do it. Now you respond in trust. So every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would respond this morning and you feel God is calling you, since God is calling you into salvation, here's the thing. First, you've got to, in a time of prayer, admit to him who you really are. Quit hiding. He knows everything about you, but confess it. Admit to God that you've got sin in your life. That's hard to do, I know, for some folks, but it's a necessary step. Admit to God that you're a sinner. Second, believe that he died on the cross for your sin and that God raised him from the dead. Admit to God who you are, but then believe who Jesus is. That's trusting in his plan. Trusting that God, when God says, I will forgive, that he means it. That when he says, there better days are coming. A righteous branch, a good king, and his name is Jesus, that he has fulfilled all of it. Believe that that king died on the cross for your sin and God raised him from the dead. Third, confess Jesus. Not someone else, not Jesus plus something, but Jesus alone as Savior and Lord of your life. If you would do that this morning, then the Bible says you would be born again. Praise God. Sins would be forgiven. You would be born again with a new start. You could pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I admit that I am a sinner. And I've not done what you've asked of me. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And today I trust you and confess you as my Savior and Lord. Help me now to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed something like that this morning, in this time of response, you could just spend time right where you are. You can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, whatever, and pray that. If you've not ever prayed something like that before, confess Christ. If you need help, I'm here to help you. I can't do it for you, but I'll help you. If you need to come to the altar this morning with some burdens weighing you down, friends, look to Christ. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of your life. He is fulfilled hope, and we hope for his return. Whatever burden you're carrying, the answer is Christ. Look to him. You can come to the altar again and pray. Some of our deacons will be here. They'd be blessed to pray with you this morning. I'll be here. I can pray with you as well. Anything else that God is laying on your heart, you take it to him now. Andy and the team are going to lead us in a song of response. And you stand to your feet. Let's worship together. But if God's working in your heart, you respond right now. Now's the time.